All right, we are down to the last of it. This is, we, we have one, uh, this sermon in Ecclesiastes, and the next week we'll do a conclusion, and then we're done. It actually seems like it flew by for me, because I was on sabbatical for most of the time. So, uh, but if you guys will pray this prayer with me in Ecclesiastes, and this will probably be the last time that we pray this prayer uh, together. Um, but uh, let's pray it, and then we'll go through Ecclesiastes 12, 9 through 14. Lord, give us life as we seek you in your kingdom with a whole heart, as we attempt to fear you and keep your commandments. Let our life be found in Christ, led by the Holy Spirit, as we walk in the arena of God's great mysteries. Ecclesiastes 12, 9 through 14. Beside being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying, and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these, of making many books, there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Amen. That is the book of Ecclesiastes. If you guys will bow your heads with me, we'll close in prayer. Actually, this is one of my favorite uh, sections of scripture. It's actually, uh, we'll get into it a little bit next week, but it's uh, one of the most life-altering sections of scripture I've ever encountered uh, for me. But here we are at the end of Ecclesiastes, and what most scholars believe is that there is a change of voice, that these six verses are supposed to be like a postscript from somebody other than the preacher. Some, have, some believe that this is a collection of wisdom along with Proverbs, but this is a collection of wisdom from Solomon, and folks gathered it up into, into this form, and now they are done, and they have one final word of thoughts for us as they've put this together. Others believe that it was put together by Solomon, and, but it was paid for by somebody else. Like somebody said, hey, I want you to do this thing and we'll pay you to do it. And then that somebody or some people wanted to put in this final note. This is like uh, a note from the publisher. If you guys have ever read where the publisher has a note either before or after. And, or even better for us as Christians, this is a note from the Holy Spirit. Like, it's probably not Solomon who wrote this, but there is an ending that we are supposed to know and uh, something important and something that will help uh, the preacher complete his task here with this book in, in our lives as well. And we can see that most of what is said uh, was carefully put together. Ecclesiastes was not put together in one day. It was not written in uh, a hasty fashion. And I, when I first got into reading good books, and uh, I, there, was, there was a few books that stand out that I remember that people would talk about, and I knew it was like, okay, I'm going to have to read this one day. And one of them was On the Road by Jack Kerouac, right? Angie, do you know how this book was written? On the Road by Jack Kerouac? Aaron might know, actually. Do you know Aaron? 
All right, so what Jack Kerouac did was he took a bunch of pieces of paper, he taped them together, he put it in a typewriter, uh, he lit a cigarette, and he started writing, and he didn't stop until the entire book was done. He just wrote the whole thing, stream of consciousness style, and he just sat there and clacked away. And I remember reading this, and I'm like, well, I want to read this to see how it reads, and I didn't like the book at all. But this book, I only say that to say that this book of Ecclesiastes is the exact opposite of that. It was put together extremely carefully in a way that would come in to affect our lives because that's what wisdom does. And um, I like that uh, what Ecclesiastes has to offer us more than just stream of consciousness by some people, which, by the way, we hear all the time these days. I love that Ecclesiastes is put together the way Scripture says it with great care, with great care. Because that means that it can get into our lives and it can affect the way that we're doing. And it, I love that it wasn't like a series of blog posts that are streamed together. We started reading a little bit of Sherlock Holmes, which was basically blog posts back in that day that was all put together. And it wasn't folks at a podcast table sitting around discussing whatever they think is important about life. This was from someone who has lived much life, much more than you or I ever could. And towards the tail end of their life has this final teaching. And then they arrange this teaching very carefully. They've waited out. They've studied, not just in the moment, but in life. And they've figured out where things need to go. And this Ecclesiastes is truly a good life or a good guide for life as we try and live for Jesus. Amen. But there is uh, just this little bit that needed to be added. This little bit of a conclusion. And I love verse 10. It says, the preacher sought to find words of delight. This book has so much in it. But when I first mentioned, okay, I'm going to be preaching Ecclesiastes. And people said, oh, why do you always love the depressing books? Like, because I preach through Psalms and Revelation. or And why are you, why are you going to preach this one? Um, no one ever offered up to me that, hey, this is a book full of delight. You're going to just enjoy You're going to enjoy it, and it's going to help you live with joy. No, the, the word vanity and meaninglessness came up, rightfully so. Many did call it a depressing book, and I understand why people want to feel that way. Because the style of this writing of this book uh, doesn't necessarily lead to delight at your first read. You don't read through it and go, wow, delight. Like, that's not what it does. However... Now that we are at the end, I believe this verse. I believe this verse 10, that the preacher arranged it to find words of delight. The book has words of delight. And I would suggest that this book is more about joy and delight than it is depression. Than it is because even if it, it gets there in a way that's not necessarily easy for us to digest in our Western mindset, I think. But verse 11 tells us the words of the wise are like goads, like nails firmly fixed in the collected sayings. And this book is straightforward. It's to the point. It doesn't gloss over actual life and death, the living of it. It doesn't gloss over what goes into living a full life. And I think that's why people call it depressing. I think that's why people say these things about this book. How many of you guys used the word goad in a sentence this week? Not really a common word, right? But I think like if we, uh, if we take it in its context clues, right, and I don't have a lot of familiarity with the word and I don't use it a, a lot of times, 
Um, uh, uh, but the context clues would suggest, as I read it in Scripture, that I'm assuming it's a shepherding metaphor, right? Like, in this context, it's something that is meant to, she, uh, like, herd things together. And uh, as I did my studies, I assumed correctly that a goad is to provoke or stimulate something or someone into action, Uh, And so this would be like sheep or goats or cows or whatever it is that you're herding. The shepherd would use his staff to goad or move the animals in the direction they need to go. Now, we are not animals. I'm not suggesting that, although some of us may qualify a little closer than others. But God, in his perfect wisdom, uses his staff to lead us, guide us in the ways that we need to go. And the words of wisdom offered here are goading us to a life that Jesus would have us live. They are giving us direction to live and enjoy life. But this learning in Ecclesiastes has a goad that has a nail in it. So again, through studies, according to some scholars, many shepherds would have or put a nail or sharp object in the end of their staff so that it would poke through the ground when they were walking. But at the same time, it would poke the animals with the bottom of their shaft, and this would be a painful tactic for added effect. It would be like like a spanking or something like that. Like it's it's supposed to be a a learning lesson. It's sharp and it hurts more than just the staff directing you. Sometimes it was used for a stubborn animal or for new animals that were just trying to learn. But either way, the learning process of what it was expected to learn hurt more with the nail. That's kind of what Ecclesiastes does at times, right? And when, he, when we come to Jesus, when we desire to walk with him, as we have been praying, as we attempt to fear God and keep his commandments, we need directions, right? I won't do the raising of the hands. How many of us are stubborn sometimes because uh, we would all raise our hands? But he needs to lead us, amen? Like, I've been reading a lot about the Lord's Prayer recently, and like, your kingdom come, like, it's hard to live into God's kingdom. It's difficult to live into the kingdom of God. It's so much unlike the kingdom that we live here on earth. And every now and again, he needs to lead us and guide us. And every now and again, it needs to hurt a little bit so that we can remember, okay, Lord, I'm going to go this way that you have for us. And as for um, Grace and Mercy Church, over the last nine months or so, he has been using Ecclesiastes with its nails to goad us and to shape us in the image more and more into his likeness. He's been pushing us and begging us to see life as it actually is and enjoy it. And enjoy it. Oftentimes at church, and it's not just me, but it's churches in general, we focus on God's loving kindness, which is right and good, his grace, his mercy. He also cares enough about us to have honest talks with us. Where uh, learning to walk with Jesus can be a painful process. And it, it's um, because it is so much uh, different than the kingdoms of earth. The way that we walk is different. And it's supposed to be different. Goading us into direction, even with nails, if we can think of it this way, is a gift from the Holy Spirit, even if it's not easy. Even if it's not easy, it is definitely worth it. And learning to walk with Jesus, if we're honest, and if we're really striving to follow him, it's painful at times. And the more stubborn we are, the more it hurts at times. But that doesn't mean his love isn't there. 
His love for us is always great, even when it's goading us with a nail. The Holy Spirit comes at us in Ecclesiastes and let us know, lets us know what's up really quickly. This whole book is a warning to the folly of humanity. It lets us know our limits and it's constantly trying to get us to accept these limits and then live within them. And then as we're living within them, find joy within them. And we can use the wisdom given to recognize and live in these boundaries set up for us to live in. And I know that talking about death and pain and suffering and limitations and money, both a lot of it and a lack of it, vanity, frailty, the vapor of it all, it's not always fun talk. It's not fun. Uh, It's not as fun as talking about grace. But the thing is, is that it's true talk. We are frail. It is, uh, it's like after, um, after all the kindness that you've tried with a friend and, and you've just been like encouraging them in a certain direction because you know that they're going down the wrong path and, and then it's like you just get down to it and you just go, I'm going to just tell you bluntly. I'm tired of beating around the bush. I'm just going to say what it is, what I've been trying to say. This, and then they say it. And this life, will never make sense to us. Will never make 100% sense to us. You will never know all that you want to know. You you can feel free to learn and study. It will be never ending, so you might as well find enjoyment in it it because you will never know all that you want to know. We can work and we can toil and we can uh, play, be at play. We can do all these things and it it will... uh, be never ending and we'll never feel like we make enough money. That's why the rich always just need a little bit more and we can feel free to work and toil, but there is a weariness to life. It has its ups. It has its downs. There's a time for everything. And this is true, honest talk that the Holy Spirit has been speaking to us. And even in that, it's meant to help us live a joyful life. It's meant to bring delight in the knowing It's supposed to free us up to live in the grace that God has for us through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. So at the end of the matter, I I love that this very blunt book puts this bluntly in one final, in, in its like final sentences. This book that is already short and punchy just lets us know exactly what it's getting at. And as a side note, I found, uh, I've actually been really surprised as we go through it slower. I've found Ecclesiastes to be far more conversational than I thought it would be. Actually far more, kind of like a, a little bit more of a narrative in certain sections as you kind of chop it up. It feels like, oh, there's this is a story. And they're trying to get this point across, even though it's not in like traditional uh, story form. And so I've really loved going through it slow and it's helped add to my love for this book. But as we are getting to the end and getting to like the the bluntness of it that we've heard enough there is much repetition in this book and it's a time for all that to end the flowery language is there but it's uh, put together by a wise poet and now here is what he's saying boil it down all things have been considered all things have been seen and heard and uh, and if you're not ready for the point nothing extra will get you there Your job in life is this, fear God and keep his commandments. That is why in our prayer, we've said, as we attempt to fear you and keep your commandments. That's where this came from. 
that it is what we are attempting to be about God's work in fearing him and keeping his commandments, trying to walk with him as he is leading. And I would say this, Lord, we're trying to live for you. We're trying to fear you and keep your commandments. And in this uh, fear God and keep his commandments, we have a reverence and a fear that means that we acknowledge God as God. I actually really like, Mom, that you chose um, Lord of all creation in this God of wonders beyond all galaxies. You are you are worthy and you are holy. And we get to declare that because as we come to this and we acknowledge God as God, we acknowledge his divinity and his greatness over against our own. We acknowledge his goodness. We acknowledge his godness as we fear him. And that means, as we even say that, that we are not God. We don't know all. We can't see all. We need God's divine intervention in and throughout our lives. We need his divine power to shake up our existence. We are to remember that he is God alone, that there is no other. I actually really like this the other day. Zeke and I were talking about uh, idols. We we're talking about the car when it idles. It doesn't go anywhere because I left the car running and it was in neutral. And Zeke goes, is that why they call idols idols? Because they don't do anything. And I thought, oh, that's good. That's a really good point. That they seem to be running, but they don't actually move the car. And so we need to remember that, that idols are just that. They're doing nothing. But God has all the power to make, uh, to make everything uh, work in our lives. Not money, not power, not influence. All that stuff has its limits, as we have seen in what has been written And God is not held by any of that. He's not held by the same limits that we are. So we get to remember God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is God alone. And knowing this leads us to worship in song. And with our lives, uh, we sing the praises of His glory and His goodness and His grace. This is our job. To fear God. To remember His ways walk in them and keep them. And I pray this, that as we've gone through Ecclesiastes now, that we will keep striving to fear God and keep his commandments. That, that we, he will let us keep attempting with our lives to live for Jesus each and every day. And I love what Ellen Davis says in her conclusion on uh, Ecclesiastes in, in her commentary. It says this, the shaping force of a fully human life is fear of God. That lively attention to where the real power in the universe lies, which in all scripture tries to awaken within us. This is what the real, this is the real power of God. And what he's trying to get us to see is that the power lies with him. And he's telling us to enjoy our lives. Remember, we get to remember some things. We get to remember that as he has all the power, that we'll stand before him knowing that he is God. He will remember that we are human. He is, we get to remember that he is judge, but not only is he judge, he's also worthy to judge. And he will judge all of humanity, which means all the leaders, praise be to Jesus, right? All the nations, all the corporations, all these like, well, we're just doing it for profit or whatever people like that and all the institutions that are there, but he will also judge you and me and we will be held, all be held accountable before him where every secret is known, both good and evil. And we will be wise to remember that. We'll be most wise to remember that 
God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is God, and we yield to God's goading in our lives. And we are at the end of Ecclesiastes. We do have one more sermon next week, and then we will be in Advent and uh, until the new year. And then I'm really excited because we're going to start the Gospel of Matthew, which I did read one commentator called the Gospel of Matthew, like the Ecclesiastes of the New Testament. And I'm like, oh, great, here we go. But then one person called uh, Ecclesiastes like the revelation of the Old Testament kind of. I was like, no, that's Daniel, but whatever. Like, I mean, it's the, uh, it's all God's word trying to speak to us, trying to get us to know that we are to fear him and keep his commandments. And I firmly believe this book in its own way has served Grace and Mercy Church well. I really do. As Even as I was praying when I was on sabbatical, like, God, we please bring joy to this congregation. And that's what Ecclesiastes has been trying to um, get in seat in our lives. And I pray that we might heed the words and the warnings of Ecclesiastes. That we might listen to its truths, even if they're uncomfortable, and they're uncomfortably told, and they're a bit more blunt than we would like it. But I pray that we might live into the joy that Ecclesiastes encourages. Amen? I pray that we are, through Ecclesiastes, that we as a people and individuals and as a group are prepared for actual life. What it means to just walk step by step that God has for us. So that's the ups and the downs, the good times and the bad, all the vanity, all of it, that we may live for Jesus in and through it all. And that we may seek Him with a whole heart and never let go of that. Never let go of that seeking. That we may recognize our need for God at all times because He alone is worthy and holy. Father, I thank You for Ecclesiastes. I thank You for Your words of wisdom. I thank You for this postscript at the end of the letter. Lord, I thank You that You just plainly tell us that we're to seek you, that we're to fear you and keep your commandments. Lord, I pray that you will help us do this. I pray that, Lord, as we attempt, we want our lives to be found in you. We want our lives to be lived for you. Lord, please hear our prayers. Please do this in our lives. Lead us and guide us. In Jesus' name, amen.